Open your Bibles, please, to 1 John chapter 3. A few weeks ago, we looked into what the Bible teaches about saving faith. Because saving faith is often misunderstood by too many evangelicals today. It's absolutely critical that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are exercising saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. For mere belief in the facts about the Lord Jesus Christ and what the Lord Jesus Christ has accomplished for sinners leaves us lost and condemned. Today we look into another biblical concept that I believe is often misunderstood. And that's God's love for sinners. So, 1 John chapter 3. I'm going to read from the Legacy Standard Bible, then correct something. Verse 1. See how great a love the Father has given to us that we would be called children of God, and we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. I'm not going to correct anything in this verse, but later on and soon there will be a correction. Actually, there is a correction here. I'm sorry. This is what happens when you don't sleep. In the Legacy Standard Bible, it says, See how great a love the Father has given to us. The word there is patapas. It's not how great. It's what kind. So I hope that your translation has that. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. And that's going to come back in just a minute. And we all know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. When you hear the word love, what immediately comes to your mind? In American English, the word love in the 21st century almost always conjures up thoughts of warm emotion. Most often it's romantic or family emotions. It's that erotic attraction that a man has for a girl or a woman who has captured his heart that romantic desire that he has to possess her for himself alone, to possess her affections, to possess her thoughts, to possess her body. It's the warm feelings of comfort and loyalty and gratitude that we have for our parents, we have for our siblings, and you have for your children. So in America, in the 21st century, love almost always means some sort of warm, emotional feeling, sentiment. Love to us is an emotional response to the strong attraction that we see in someone else. Let me say that again. To us in America, in the 21st century, love is an emotional response to a strong attraction that we see in someone else. We're powerfully attracted to them because of what we see in them. So, I love a certain pretty 43-year-old woman in Centerville, Virginia. Don't panic. (laughs) She lives in Centerville with her godly husband 
and little girl. When she was three years old, her father left home. When she was six, she decided that she was going to adopt me as her surrogate daddy. From that point on, everyone knew that I was smitten and owned by this rotten, adorable kid. <laughs> Since then, I've been attracted to her, strongly attracted to her, because of what she is. She's beautiful. She's saucy. She's witty. She's intelligent. She's hardworking. She's kind. She's tenderhearted. She is devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ and to her family. And she's warmly affectionate to her Harry. So when I hear her voice, my heart leaps for joy. So you understand what I mean when I say I love her. I love my parents. I love the memory of my parents because of what they were. Their devotion to one another and to me. Their generosity. Their joyful faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And their long suffering with me through all those long, terrible years that I was dead in trespasses and sins. All of that so strongly attracts me to my parents. I love you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, for what I see in you, the fruit of the Spirit in you. And I'm so strongly attracted to you because of what I see there. Therefore, when we hear the love of God... Our brain is trained to think of God's feelings or of God's attraction to us. The world and lost religious people think of God's love in exclusively emotional terms. It's how God feels about us, all warm and attracted to us. But is God's love for sinners... His emotional response to what he sees in them. We've read 1 John and corrected 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 out of my particular translation. Go to Romans, please. Pastor Eric knows exactly where I'm going now. And Pastor Jonathan does too. Romans 3. I'm going to begin with verse 10. And just listen if you haven't gotten there yet. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And you know Ephesians chapter 2. You are dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all also once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the other. By nature, we deserve God's wrath. Amen. And then Romans 5.10 says we were enemies of God. Enemies of God. There is nothing in an unconverted man that God finds attractive. Lost people are repulsive and obnoxious to his 
holy self. We're habitual sinners who love our sin. We're strongly attracted to our sin. We're emotionally bound to our sin. And we resent him. Yet John 3.16 tells us God so loved the world. And the word world here, although the word world has about nine different meanings in the New Testament, the word world here finds its meaning in John in chapter 12. When the Pharisees and the chief priests in exasperation, when Jesus has come into Jerusalem, say, see, you are accomplishing nothing. The whole world has gone after him. The word world in John 3.16 means the same thing as the word world there, which is mankind in general, humanity in general. Just as the word whosoever and whosoever believes in him means mankind in particular. So God's word says, God so loved humanity in general, a humanity that is sin-loving, God-resenting, following Satan, and naturally deserving God's wrath. But since there's nothing in lost humanity that God finds attractive, I mean, how can he be attracted to any of that? This kind of love is different from what we normally think of when we hear the word love. 1 John 3, 1, we read it. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. What manner, what kind? Literally, from what country? It's an alien love. Kurt Vaughn, one of my seminary professors, wrote, The term what manner always expresses surprise and astonishment in the New Testament. It's like John looks at himself. He looks at what he was. He looks at what the apostles were. He looks at mankind in general. And he says, God loves us? What kind of love is that? That's like nothing on earth. And he's shocked. And he's surprised. He's astonished at that kind of love. Now we're getting to the heart of the matter when we're talking about God's love for sinners. God's love for sinners is unlike anything else on earth. It is an alien love. The word love in 1 John 3, 1 and John 3, 16 and the vast majority of times that it's used in the New Testament is the word agape. In classical Greek, agape is a bland, colorless word. It means fondness. The Lord Jesus Christ adopted this obscure word and turned it inside out to redefine and to describe God's attitude and God's actions toward those who are dead in trespasses, toward those who are sons of disobedience, toward those who are by nature children of wrath. It's no longer fondness. Can you imagine? For God was so fond of the world that he gave up his only begotten son. Can you imagine 1 Corinthians chapter 13? Fondness suffers long. <laughs> fondness is not provoked. 
Fondness keeps no records of wrong. Fondness never fails. Are you kidding me? No. What the Lord Jesus Christ has done with the word agape is he's redefined it. Now agape describes God's very alien sort of love to depraved humanity. Here's the first time I'm going to define it for you. We're going to define it at least three times. Agape is a willful determination to seek and do what is best for the object of love. Even if it costs dearly, and even if this love is not reciprocated, if it's not returned in kind. That's so alien to our way of thinking about love. We love as a reaction, a response to strong attraction that we find in someone else. God loves in spite of what he sees. He loves what's even repulsive to him. He willfully determines to love whom he loves. Matthew chapter 5, the Lord Jesus gives us some instructions about how his disciples are to live, but this is also a description of God's agape. Listen to this. God's agape is an agape for his enemies. God's agape blesses those who curse him. God's agape does good to those who hate him. It's proved by the fact that he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends his reign on the just and the unjust. God's agape is certainly not a reaction to those who despise him, who hate him, and who reject him. Let me give you the definition again. It's his willful determination to do good to us. Even if it cost him dearly, and if it's not returned in kind, God's agape to sinners is intentional, it's self-generated, and it's self-giving. Now, how does that compare with our modern American notion of love? How does that compare with the lost Americans' default notion of love? How does that compare with the too many among evangelicals' default notion of love? Susan Stanberg was a reporter for the public broadcasting service, PBS. Forgive me, but when I was in Massachusetts, sometimes out of desperation, I would listen to PBS for news. Uh, but she was one of the, the reporters. Susan Sandberg is not a Christian. She had interviewed Amy, uh, Amy Grant. Amy was 20 years old, in her early 20s at the time. And after her interview with Amy Grant, Susan then came and gave her evaluation of the interview. She says, I'm convinced that Amy Grant loves Jesus. I'm just not sure if she wants to worship him or date him. Let that sink in. That's evangelicals' notion of love. Now, here's a little off to the side. This one's free. Uh, Pastor Eric talks or, or comments from time to time on the quality of a lot of current evangelical hymn writing. And our sister Renee has so accurately described some of the hymns that are being voiced on the church today as girlfriend songs for Jesus. Love is eroticism. 
love for Christ as eroticism. Let that sink in. You see how ambiguous the word love has become in our culture, even in the church today? It means wildly different things to those who hear us use it because we use it to mean wildly different things. We love our parents. We love our fiancé. We love our nation. We love pecan pie. We love the Lord Jesus. No wonder they're confused. This is most tragically seen in two bumper stickers that were on a Cadillac when I was in Carthage, New York. At that time, New York had earned the reputation as being somehow unfriendly. I don't understand how that possibly could happen. I'm talking about the city, brother, you know, not Binghamton, you know. And so at that time, there were bumper stickers that uh, the state of New York had printed and were distributing, and it was I and a heart for love, New York. You, you all saw them, yeah. And then, of course, it turned into a meme. And you had I heart you know, my daughter, I heart my horse, I heart my job, I heart my dog. Mm-hmm. And on this particular Cadillac one day, on the back bumper, on the left-hand side, it says, I love my poodle. And there was an identical bumper sticker on the right-hand side that says, I love Jesus. You love the Lord God omnipotent who became man and suffered and died and carried all your sins in his own body on the tree exactly the same way you love your dog? Well, with the state of religion in that part of upstate New York, that's very possible. That's blasphemy. Now, here's the rub. And you know that I'm, I was going to get here. The word love is really a lousy way to translate agape for 21st century Americans. Our use of love is all about me. What I feel is soft, it's sentimental, it's warm, it's squishy, and it's fickle. We talk about falling in love and then falling out of love. Agape is about its object. Is purposely determined, it's muscular, it's intentionally self-given, and agape never fails. Agape doesn't quit. So you see that our use of love and biblical agape are so far apart in meaning. And the danger is that using love for agape without defining what we mean by love can seriously mislead our hearers. 1 John 4, 7 says, everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Stop. What did you immediately think of when I said love? The average American hears it this way. Everyone who is loving, everyone who is kind, everyone who is nice, who is tolerant, who is non-judgmental, who is indulgent, is born of God. That's heresy. That describes this woke insanity that's infested our country. That's their kind of love. And they're certainly not born of God. Or the hymn, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. It's number 23 in our hymnal. The one of the lines says, All who live in love are thine. Now, if you mean agape, that's true. But that's not what most people hear. 
what most people hear is, all who are loving are thine. In other words, saved by niceness. That's a lie. Now, at this point I have to say, please hear what I say and don't hear what I don't say. There's nothing wrong with the word love. The problem lies in the way we immediately, or what we immediately think when we hear it in our culture. I wish there was another word that we could use for agape besides love, but apparently we're stuck with it. Unless we follow David Morris' advice and use biblical words for beautiful biblical concepts. So for the next few minutes, I'm going to be using agape where the scripture uses agape. Let me define it for the third time. Agape is a willful determination to seek and do what is best for the object of that agape. Regardless of whether or not it costs us dearly, and regardless of whether it's returned. It's not a response to attractive, attractiveness in another. Because the Lord Jesus Christ told us we must agape our enemies. And there's nothing in our enemies that we find attractive. It's not a response to anything. It's willfully self-generated. God's agape for sinners is his favor toward them, willfully bestowed on whoever he chose, chooses to bestow it. You can understand today that not enough sleep is making my mouth do weird things. He willfully bestows on whoever he chooses for their good. Regardless of who they are, what they are, or what they've done. This ought to start becoming good news for lost people. Yes. It's not about you. It's about him. Yes. God's love comes out of him. Not because of you. God's love is intentional. God's love is determined. God's love is what he chooses to do, what he chooses to give, what he chooses to bestow on those who certainly don't deserve it. Man, that was good news for me 43 years ago. Now, you say, is there any scriptural proof for saying that? Well, yes. Deuteronomy chapter 7. So if you'd go there with me, please. You've heard these before. You've heard these before recently. Deuteronomy chapter 7. I'll begin with verse 6. You are a holy people to Yahweh your God. Yahweh your God has chosen you to be a people for his own treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Yahweh did not set his affection on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but because Yahweh loved you and kept the oath he swore to your fathers, Yahweh brought you out with a strong hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the house of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. In in verse 7 there, we're told that Yahweh set his love on Israel. Literally, he glued his love on Israel. On stiff-necked, rebellious, defiant, ungrateful Israel who had done nothing but kick against his, his mercies the whole time. Yet, God determined to do them good for his own kind 
purpose's sake. I hope you see God's agape isn't some cold, impersonal, indifferent act of sheer will. His agape is also warmly affectionate. My proof for that? John 3.16. For God so agape'd the world that he gave up his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God's son. God's only son. God's only beloved son. Whom he has only fervent, eternal delight and affection for. God loves his son with all his heart. There's no one more lovely in his sight than his son. This is the son who always does those things that please his father. This is the son who is of the same essence with his father, one with his father. He has the same heart, same mind, and same affections as his father. Twice in the New Testament, in the Gospels, God the Father, in an audible voice, says to witnesses, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. He delights in his Son's presence more than he delights in anything. And here's where our notion of love as a response to what you find attractive actually does apply to God. The Father looks at his Son, and what he sees in his Son is nothing but absolutely lovely to him. His love for his Son is so immense that the Father determined that His Son will be honored and adored by all creation exactly the same way they honor and adore Him. In John chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, the Lord Jesus says about the purpose of God that all will honor the Son even as kathos in exactly the same way they honor the Father. In Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11, because the Lord Jesus Christ has so fulfilled everything that the Father has determined that he would fulfill in the salvation of sinners, God's word says, therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and on things on the earth and of things under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is is Lord. And if you go to Isaiah 43, that Jesus Christ is Yahweh to the glory of God the Father. That's the love that the Father has for his son, his only begotten son. This is the love that he is bringing up his son and raising up his son to be exalted along with him. That all the world would worship the Lord Jesus Christ, even as they worship him. And the father gave him up. Gave him up to his enemies. Gave him up to be mocked. To be tortured. To be despised. To be crucified. For us. Gave him up in order that he might pour out all his just wrath on his only beloved son. So that his only beloved son would suffer all the hell we deserve in our place. You don't do that for people you have no affection for. God the Father, in his love, in his willful 
determined, self-generating love pities the lost. God the Father has affection for the lost. And that pity and affection is not because of anything he finds attractive in us. It is generated out of his own great heart of kindness and mercy and grace. That's God's agape for sinners. For all who will believe in him, in his son, regardless of what they are. Regardless of what they've done. God loves that way. God loves out of himself. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your track record is. It doesn't matter how much you've despised him all your life. I'm the poster child for that. The only reason I'm converted is because God chose to convert me out of his great self-generated agape for sinners. Even though he had loved me for 28 years and I had not returned any of it. And it cost him dearly. It cost him his only begotten son. That ought to be good news for sinners. Yes. It ain't about you. That's right. It's about him yes. and what he chooses to do. But before I wrap it up, I have to remind you, God's love won't save you. God's love will not save you. I heard a preacher one time in his emotional altar call telling people, I just want you to, to get saved. I just want you to, to love Jesus. Love Jesus and get saved. Loving Jesus isn't going to save you. I mean, especially if it's an Amy Grant kind of love. Yeah. You know? No. God loves you. God loves you. But love by itself is not going to save you. For by grace you have been saved by, say it, faith. So, if you're sitting here realizing for the first time, your eyes have been opened for the first time, the nature of God's self-generated, self-giving, self-sacrificing love for his enemies then I urge you, don't just bask in that and think, well, wonderful, God loves me. I'm going to heaven. That was the problem with the four spiritual laws. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Well, then pff, I don't need anything else then. If he loves me, I'm going to heaven. No. As one man said one time, God can love you all the way to hell. Yes. For by grace we have been saved through faith. So if you realize that there is no bar between you and reconciliation to God, that he has set his affection on you in advance, then trust him. He's not throwing up anything to keep you away. He's throwing his arms open wide. But you must trust him. You must come to him as your Lord. You must receive him as your king. And if you do that, he will refuse no one. The Lord Jesus Christ said, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And he who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. That's good news. Yes. Pray with me, please. Lord, thank you that you delight in using broken vessels. 
Thank you that you delight in exalting your own strength and weakness, our weakness. And I pray that's what you've done in the last minutes. Father, I pray that we see that your love for sinners is not some mushy, gushy, syrupy, sentimental emotionalism. But it's strong. It's determined. It's purposeful. Even to the point that you would give up your son for such as us. And I pray now that as we speak to others, as we tell others about your love, that we won't mislead them. That we will explain that your love is indeed not a response of any attraction that he may feel toward them, but because out of your great grace, you determine to save sinners. And I pray that many will come to faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and fulfill the purpose of your love to the glory of your grace and to their great thankful joy forever. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. We are dismissed.